Looking for health info? This is Health U's House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. We're here to provide you with the tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. Here, our expert providers will provide you with wellness tips, information, and general health advice. This is House Call. Hey, everybody. So today, we're going to be talking about edibles. As the legalization of marijuana for medicinal and recreational use becomes more widespread, it's crucial to understand how these substances work and, if used, how to consume them safely. We brought in psychiatrist and medical director for Hackensack Meridian Behavioral Health, Dr. Eric Alcera, to help us understand these drugs a little bit better. So whether you're a medical professional, a patient seeking alternative treatments, or simply someone curious about marijuana edibles, you're in the right place. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Alcera. We're happy you could join us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure so to be here. This is a heavy conversation. We know <laughs> there's a lot of opinions on all sides, but we're going to just jump right in. Can you just tell us, in your opinion, is cannabis or marijuana, is it safe to use? So that's a loaded question. Yeah, we're going right out. We're going right out. You (laughs) really went for the juggler for that one. But, you know, cannabis, um, it depends. I think that's the best answer I can give you. Um, You know, right now, cannabis is, is, is widely available. You know, states are now legalizing it, so it's now becoming recreational. And we're sort of bunching cannabis into this sort of one group when the reality is there's many different types of cannabis. You know, there's a difference between recreational cannabis versus medicinal cannabis. And even in the medicinal field, there's so many different strains and types that we still don't know about. And I think, uh, you know, depending on how you react to it, um, your genetic makeup, your, 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 your sort of overall being, you're going to have a different experience to using cannabis compared to someone else. And sometimes that experience could be positive and sometimes that experience could be negative. So I'm going to jump into where you're talking about, you know, the medicinal use versus recreational in what, I guess, in what circumstances would someone be prescribed marijuana for medicinal use? Or let's talk about edibles specifically. Do they prescribe edibles? Edibles are not in the medicinal form of cannabis. What is? Uh, it's really just a pill form. Yeah, that, oh, that's really okay. all it is right now. And it's uh, it, the, the problem with the pill form that we have is that it's used for a number of things. It can be used for pain. It can be used for uh, appetite. It can be used for certain types of cancer. Uh, there are more adjunctive types of use with it uh, from a medicinal point of view. The problem is that um, they're not they're, the effect of it isn't consistent. So if you give it to a 15 year old versus a you know, 25-year-old versus a 65-year-old, the effects of the dronabinol that you're giving is very different. Um, And part of that speaks to the fact that, you know, one, cannabis has a lot of active compounds, which are, we don't really know, and there's different strains. And whether or not you give a pill of dronabinol, we don't know whether or not... What is dronabinol? Dronabinol, I'm sorry, is the the brand name for for cannabis, for medicinal cannabis. So, you know, depending on those strains, there's... There, there might be different strains within that medical compound that we just don't know about. It just doesn't... And are strains just meaning like the type of like marijuana plant? Is that what a strain? So, you know, a maripot- there's two active components in marijuana, which is the THC, the tetrahydrocannabinol, cannabidiol, or the CBD, which is the cannabinol- cannabidiol. And those two active forms, the psychogenic f- form is the THC. Mm-hmm. And what they call the therapeutic form or the non-psychoactive is the CBD, which right. people refer to. Um, CBD has multiple strains and so does THC. 
depending on the strain will determine what type of effect you're going to get. So um, if I were to do a study, which we can't do, if we knew that strain one, two, and three, or strains one to 30 had effects on appetite, I would want that in a certain type of medicinal, you know, drug to help with people that had trouble eating, especially mm -hmm. with cancer patients. So, but we don't have that. Those yeah. are, those are wishes and wants. Are there any other drugs that are similar to this where it's like, there's just so many variables of like different effects? Yeah. So, you know, in, I'm a child psychiatrist, so stimulants are a schedule two med medication and, uh, you know, the people will respond to stimulants in, in different ways. There are different, you know, types of stimulants. Stimulants are just sort of a big class of medications, but, um, stimulants come in different forms. So depending on the form, whether it's, you know, methyl methamphetamine, I'm sorry, methylphenidate, whether it's uh, dextroamphetamine, the, the patient will have a different experience depending on, you know, when they take the, that certain strain of medication. Interesting. All right. So we're talking about the differences in, in effect and how it works. So I think I'd like to talk about the difference between taking like a marijuana edible versus like a pill versus smoking it. Like what should somebody know before they decide, hey, I'm going to go to the dispensary. I'm going to buy an edible. Like what would you tell them? So the, you know, one that it's not regulated, right? We don't, right. The, the problem with, with anything, uh, with marijuana, when you make it is that the concentration of the two psychoactive substances will vary depending on one, the plant that's being used and two, and how you utilize it in, in a recipe. So, um, you know, dispensaries have a, a bunch of names, really intriguing names of, of calling their type of plants. So, you know, names like Bubba Gush, Purple Haze, all of those, all of those will have different variability in terms of the concentrations of the psychoactive drug. When you put them in an edible form, um, we don't know what that concentration is, right? Ideally, it's, you know, the what they say in the literature is that it should be 10, millig 10, 10 units of that psychoactive substance in order for it to be considered an edible. Um, the problem is when you eat an edible, it's a very different experience that when you take it by mouth or by smoking it or ingesting it, it's mm -hmm. a much different experience for, for a bunch of reasons. One is that um, when you eat an edible, the effect of it takes a little bit longer to, to sort of feel. Mm -hmm. So unlike inhaling it, which works much quicker, when you eat it, it takes a little bit longer. So people... Why is that? I think part of it is the way, you know, it has to go through the digestive tract rather than the, than the respiratory tract. It has to go through, okay. it has to be broken down. I mean, if you think about how when you eat food, it has to go through your stomach, it has to get broken down, it, it, it takes a little bit of a while and then it has to get absorbed into your body, cross into the brain to have those type of effects. That process takes time. Um, rather, when you inhale it, it will bypass all of that and just sort of go right into your blood and into your brain. Um, Interesting, because I feel like alcohol can sometimes you could feel it like really quickly. Like I think a for glass some of wine, you could take a sip and be like, "Ooh," <laughs> you know, like you feel it. Well, I think that also depends on the person, right? Okay. I know some people that could happen, yeah. And in other people, they could drink a lot of wine, and, right, and, and not feel anything, and not feel right? anything. I guess, yeah, that's again like person to person, person to person. But the reality is that you know when you have that delay, it creates a problem when using this medication or the using this edible, yeah. Which is. If you don't feel it, people will be like, oh, I, I didn't take enough. Let me yeah, take a little bit yeah. more. And what will ha happen is by the time they realize that the effects are starting to kick in, 
now you've taken late. more <laughs> and and now it doesn't it you're there you're kind of there for a while yeah you're there to, for the ride you're in there you're for ride the ride you got to ride it out and uh you know some of that during that time depending on the concentration of psychoactive substance versus non the experience can be you know a little bit adverse where yeah you know having the you know you can have hallucinations you can have paranoia you can hallucinate from sure oh wow okay thc the that component is the psychoactive component and that can lead to uh you know signs of paranoia psychosis where you're seeing things hallucinations um it, it could be pretty scary you know and yeah. unfortunately like you know we see it a lot in kids that use it they you, they come to our ed they have the same experience that i just described mm -hmm. and they are paranoid they're yeah. seeing things and they've never had a psychotic event before so it could be pretty pretty terrifying when that happens and obviously it's disturbing not only for the kid but for the family and yeah. for the psychiatrists and the physicians that are seeing them in the ed how long does it take then to kind of like pass from that little episode it depends on how much you took and mm -hmm. it depends on how fast your metabolism is you know we really you know the i guess the and i'll put this in quotes the good thing about marijuana is that it's not fatal right you, right there's yeah, no you can't the, like overdose you can't it, overdose right? the withdrawals are somewhat limited in terms of the adverse effects i mean there are if you if you use it chronically and you stop it you can have some symptoms of irritability and depression but for the most part if you use it there's no risk in terms of death with it mm -hmm. by using it so we just sort of keep in our eds watch them monitor and make sure they're okay yeah yeah that is very scary yeah um so maybe do you want to talk a little bit again about just like the differences in use based on age um like how it can affect your brain for younger people versus older is it similar because i know like your brain is developing until what like 28 25 like, like 20, that. Yep. yeah so is is it more dangerous for someone younger to use it so my answer is yes as a child psychiatrist i think yeah. you know the developing brain is something that you know it it it, it has a lot of uh, potential to insult you know as it's developing so the more insult you expose it and, and i'm using insult in a very large term so whether that's alcohol nicotine you know cannabis anytime that has an interaction with your brain you're going to affect certain parts of it that could lead to problems down the road uh, what we know about cannabis is that you know people under the age of 25 have the largest concentration of receptors in in parts of their brain as opposed to people older than 25 and that specific part of the brain the white matter is in charge of things like communication learning memory and emotions so if you're using it at that age of under the age of 25 you you will have um you know problems with 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 learning you'll have you know difficulty problem solving I think it disrupts the tracks. You know, okay. the brain communicates via these tracks. You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and and when you disrupt that ability for the brain to communicate, you're going to have problems with emotion, communication, sort of the things that we call executive functioning in psychiatry that revolves processing where you have to recall and memorize and do things um you know similar to you know if you know a kid that has adhd that that's an issue with 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 frontal lobe and executive functioning and so when you use cannabis that can be affected and that can have long-term side effects at least from what we think it could so the long-term side effects does that mean like their brain can never recover so that's that's not we're not sure entirely sure i think you know it if you use it sparingly 
you know, one or two times. The, you know, the great thing about our brain is it has neuroplasticity, which stands for the ability to sort of repair itself and fix itself. Um, when that, when, if you use it once or twice, I think there's an ability for the for things to be reversed. I think if you use it chronically, or you or you use it, or you have you have a predisposed risk of like psychosis or mental health or something um, from a family history that shows that there was an adverse effect. But you know, sometimes if you use it, you can have long-lasting side effects, which is rare. But the reality is that it can happen. So yeah, is there a risk for? Um... Just like a risk in relation to your mental health by taking marijuana. I think I was reading that like it can increase. Obviously, you can have like, you know, bad trip episodes Mm -hmm. of like anxiety and stuff like that. But like for the long term, could it kind of like induce more depression? That's what I was seeing. Yeah, I think, you know, this is where people will sort of argue. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think anything that's chronically used will develop a tolerance in your brain. So Mm -hmm. that means you're going to require more of the substance to give you the same effect that you had when you initially used it. I think when you get to that point, now you're talking about your brain sort of adjusting to it, you know, adapting to that and that adaptation could either be positive or negative. So I think it, it, it all depends on the person. Where would you put, like edibles in relation to alcohol like can you relate them at all um they're well i mean probably relatable because they're both you know substances that can that affect things like emotion and and mood but the reality is that the way sort of our regulatory system manages alcohol it's very different than what edibles are with alcohol you can you know we know what when you drink a beer or a glass of wine, how much alcohol is in it and what percentage of, of it and how to right. classify it. We're not there yet with edibles. Do you so, think we will be? Uh, I mean, I think the hope is that we should yeah. be. I think that, you know, you know, my hope is that as we're having a more of a conversation like these about marijuana and, and, and cannabis, that we start thinking about how we can use them and dispense them wisely, both on a medicinal side and a recreational side. Um, you know, truth be told, I'm not a big advocate of recreational cannabis, but, you know, to each his own. And, mm-hmm. and I think we have a responsibility as a society to make sure that we we can regulate or sort of really define what you're sort of taking, what's being sold yeah. and what's being dispensed and what what the possible effects could be if you took X amount of cannabis in whatever form it comes in. Yeah. When you were mentioning that earlier about like the variability of like how much is in each it made me think of alcohol because I was like, you know, there's so many variables. You could have a beer that's like a 9%, you know, alcohol and then one that's three. So I was just surprised that for edibles, it kind of just ranges and you kind of don't really know. So does that mean like if you go to a dispensary and you buy one, like one day it can be low and then like the next time it can be crazy high? Yeah, I think so. And I think it depends until, you know, there's no there's no agency that's going in and checking that this this edible has X amount of yeah. you know active substance and I think um, you know that's something that we sort of have to remember that when we use that right we're going in you know there's there's someone that sort of took whatever cannabis product they had and made it into whatever form it was whether it's a gummy whether it's a brownie whatever it is um, and depending on the process which is not systematic there's there's no regular regulatory guidance in terms of how to make it i mean it's just like someone sort of getting in their kitchen and putting it in making their own brownies my brownie is going to be different than my mom's brownie versus someone else's so you know depending on how 
how much sugar they put in, how much cocoa powder they put, you know, whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. going to vary. So, Right. Can marijuana interact with medications if you're taking something oh, already? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the things that you really should avoid that if you're going to, if you use medications mm-hmm. for other health conditions, you know, understanding um, what the effects are in terms of the interaction is going to be really important, especially if you're using psychiatric medications. You know, those those have very similar effects to mood and anxiety. So having the use of cannabis uh, with your current psychiatric medications is really con- going to confound what's working, what's not working, what's the adverse effect and what's not, whether it's cannabis or the or the medicine that you're taking so yeah so you think like it would kind of just like confuse the outcome like am i feeling better because i'm taking my medication or am i feeling better because of the cannabis that's exactly right yeah yeah interesting so i guess are there dangers of like the medication combination here uh there could be i mean i think you know anytime you you use cannabis or any substance and you combine them or have combinations Mm -hmm. of them you can have different effects in the brain or you know within your body depending on your physiology so if you if it if the two interact and it makes you know the psychoactive substance increase you're going to have you know significant symptoms related to that you know it's 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 hard to say or predict but if if we know so um, you know, I'll use the SSRIs, which are antidepressants. Mm-hmm. If we use that with cannabis, we don't know whether or not the, ang- the you know, the improvement in anxiety is related to the SSRI or the cannabis use, right? It, it, it will confound the psychiatrist to determine how do I adjust the dose? How do I determine what medication is going to be best for you if you're using that? I feel like it's interesting that marijuana can have like a calming effect like oh anti-anxiety but then can have the polar opposite of like hyping you up and making you super anxious is that just like dosage that would make a difference or so it could be dosage but it also could be due to what we talked about earlier which is your genetic makeup right okay there are some some people that use recreational cannabis and there's a calming effect there's a Mm -hmm. there's a sense of peace i think part of that has to do with a lot of the you know the the therapeutic effect it could be the social aspect of it if you're smoking it with other people okay, yeah you know, there's a lot of variables that are associated to it um you know that alone could, could sort of change things but it's really hard to say whether or not you know the cannabis is is doing this is it not doing this but we know that it could have the paradoxical effect that it like you said it could make you hype up it can create yeah. anxiety it can make you paranoid right it can make you to the point where it has the opposite effect of what your intention is. So sure. that's that's where you have to be really careful with it. Yeah. You mentioned just like a little bit on like therapeutic. Is there any other therapeutic benefits like calming anything else that you can get? So there's a lot of like anecdotal studies. We don't mm-hmm. really have the data. I think if you talk to people on both sides of the argument here is that uh, at the end of the day, we can all agree that there's just not enough data to yeah. show that it, it helps for one particular person. We know to some degree that some of the studies show that it helps with some forms of cancer. It helps with some forms of um, pediatric seizures. Um, it can even help with chronic pain. Uh, the problem is, is that it, we don't have the studies that show that it's replicable and that it, we can apply it to the general population, which makes it a challenge. So everything that we talk about is really like, you know, Johnny had this experience and yeah. Susie had this experience and let's see if if you know we apply it and i think the majority of people that are looking into it are 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 sort of confused by it because it's difficult to replicate and i think you know part of that has to do with what we talked about earlier is that we don't know the type of strains that are going in and, and what we're using you know if if a person uses a recreational form 
how do we make sure that that is the consistent form in which they use down the road? And we can't, right? We, right now we're just not there, so. Yeah. Is there research being done to kind of better understand all of this? So not, there's, there's research done. It's still not enough. Um, yeah. There's a lot of research, you know, there's a lab in Israel that's doing a lot of studying out of, you know, uh, Dr. Didi Meyer's group over there. They've been looking at the different strains and trying to classify um, certain strains for both THC and, and CBD to see like which, you know, if strain one to 30 helps for appetite, you know, this is, these are the types of plants that you would use, or this okay. is the, t so they're trying their best in their lab to do that. They, they, you know, the, the primary investigator is the first to admit, we still don't know anything. He said, I've yeah. been, one of the things, and there's an interesting, um, Ted talk about it, but he talks about, uh, marijuana and the studies that he's been studying it for three years and the only thing he knows is that he's more confused than the, from, the, from the start so <laughs> you think he's smoking while he's doing I the research? Know. that's it would be hard to say so i'm just kidding um so i guess just as a doctor and a psychiatrist if somebody is you know thinking i want to give this a shot what do you what do you want them to know before they do it you know, I think, you know, that that's a decision that the person has to make. Um, if they are under the care of a doctor and having them speak to us, we should have the responsibility to educate them. And you think this is something, uh, you know, patients should bring to their doctor? Absolutely. Yeah, right? I mean, it should be on the same lines as if they're talking about, you know, an adolescent who's starting to use alcohol or yeah. like an adult that's thinking about, hey, I'm going to try cocaine for the first time, right? Right. They, they're, we, we have the we as physicians have a responsibility to educate them in terms of, um, you know, what could, what are the risks, what are the benefits for mm -hmm. it? Um, and, and we shouldn't shy away from it. You know, I think it's, it's, uh, these conversations should happen. It's, it's there, it, it's relatable. And I think in order for anyone to make a really informed consent, they really need to have all the information. And it's our duty as scientists, as physicians to play that role in educating them because you know, that's, that's sort of what we do. Right. I think also a, a good point to note would be storage of this. If you have this in your home, you want to make sure it's in oh, a safe yeah. place. It's not accessible to children or animals or anything like that. Because again, like you said, if it's like a brownie or if it's gummies, like a child could see that and think, oh, mom made brownies today. <laughs> and that yeah. could be really, really dangerous. It was, uh, there's a, I had a patient once who came home uh, he went to the fridge. He just came home from work and he goes in the fridge and he's like, oh, there's brownies there. And he ate one. And then a couple hours later, he started feeling really weird. Something oh, no. was off. Um, lo and behold, you know, they were not regular brownies, <laughs> um, but they look like it. Right? Yeah, and I think yeah. part of the problem is that the edible forms, if you go into any dispensary, they come in, you know, lollipops, gummy yeah. bears, you know, cakes of all different kinds. And I mm -hmm. think... Uh, you know, storing them in their fridge is probably not the best thing to do that you really need to be, if you're really going to use it and you have kids around, people that are susceptible, um, you know, take the extra step, be responsible, put them in a safe place. You yeah. know, you, you, you wouldn't leave your, 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 you know, those type of medications just out on the coffee table, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not gonna leave like pills on the counter. Right. Don't leave your gummies on the exactly. counter because it could be, could end right. poorly. Right. Dr. Arceller, is there anything else you think we should add? No, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, we have to, we have to remember that cannabis is recreational. I think, mm -hmm. you know, we still have a long way to go when it comes to the science of it and determining its therapeutic benefits. But I think overall, we need to sort of understand that 
we have a role to to our patients and to our community to educate them on you know the the pros and cons of it and i think you know the more we can become educated on it talk about it have conversations like this i think the better off we're going to be i agree well, thanks so much, Dr. Alcera. This was super enlightening. Um, I hope anyone listening can feel safer about the choices that they make. Thank you. The material provided through this podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.